Hi guys, welcome back to Hearing Voices. It's your host Kaden. Come back to you one more time. Sorry about my voice, guys. Um, it's been a struggle week, <laughs> so my voice might go in and out. I hope you can hear everything that I'm saying. You know, good and stuff like that. Let me get into some, you know, houseware information. So, guys, follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Everything will be down in the description down below. Also, we do have our winner. We're not gonna announce the name because obviously, um. I didn't ask the person to give out their name for the giveaway, but we do have a winner. And also, a lot of them are, everybody in our giveaway will be in Shelton. I don't want to give people's information out about that because they might not feel easy about that either. So um, be, be mindful. But the winner is Pitt. But right now, she has not come back to out to us. So if, if she sees this video, it's all right. Um, we would love to give you a prize and send it off out to your home, well, to your shelter, not really your home. Sorry about that. Um, to your shelter. And hopefully you and your family enjoys the gift that is coming from us, from the fellows, from FAC. And I hope you enjoy your summer. Thank you for participating. So, yes. So, we have a guest today called Jessica. We'll use her first name. Um, she used to work in City Hall. And now she is not working there at the moment. And she's been a, a big part of helping the homeless community in the past. I want to say, you could correct me. I think, I want to say two years, maybe three I don't know, time has gone crazy with me since um, the whole pandemic. So I can't really tell time anymore about certain things. But um, she has been a very inspirational part of helping us move our agenda forward for homelessness in New York City. Um, not only just family homelessness, as you know, I advocate for that a lot, um, for street homelessness, for um, singles, singles, youth, and everything like that. Um, if you don't know, I'm a part of the, a group called the Roundtable. I want to believe that's it's been a long time. Roundtable and we are a group of people who are in different areas of homelessness, family, DV, things like that. And we come together to um, help the administration kind of understand how homelessness is in New York City. If you don't know, we are based in New York City. And uh, so we want to make sure that everybody's covered enough. Everybody's not left out. So we came personally, I didn't come. If you remember our guest, the homeless hero, he actually the person who's like, um, the top person, I was like top person, but he's the person who got us together as a group to talk about the issues in New York City and how we could change it to make it better. Um, things, as you know, don't happen overnight. Um, it happens over time. We have to take time with each person in office. Um, everybody has a hard job, and everything might not happen. We want to have it the way we want to have it, to be honest. And also, not only homelessness is a problem in New York City, schools are a problem, this and that is a problem. So we got to take everything by stride and work as a group, as a team together to make things run. So Jessica, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and also why why did you come into this position? Why did you do this job? How's it important to you? Sure, thank you so much, Kadisha, and for this amazing podcast where you've given such an amazing space for people to share their stories and fight to make things better every day. So I really appreciate you for that and for your work on the Impacted Advocates. Roundtable. So my name is Jessica. I was most recently the chief housing officer at City Hall, but most of my career has been in government and some time also with not-for-profits, um, always on the housing side, kind of fighting for the housing world to be really invested in solving homelessness and doing a lot of work in supportive housing, convincing communities that supportive housing would be an asset in their communities, um, and then working together on the Adams administration for their housing and homelessness blueprint, um, where my number one priority was making sure that people who are actually impacted by homelessness were helping us craft 
the housing and homelessness policies that we had. So we created the Impacted Advocates Roundtable with your help and a bunch of others and worked together. The mayor came to the very first meeting and we worked together to figure out what was working with the system, what was not working with the system, and just really wanted to hear from everybody how things were going, especially because sometimes in government we design programs that don't always work out the way we had hoped. And sometimes we miss steps that we don't that we don't understand if you're not walking in those shoes every single day. So really such a huge shout out and gratitude to the impacted advocates for doing such amazing work with us over the last couple of years. I think that's what's very important is that um sometimes lawmakers and people who are higher ups, they never most times they never actually experience um homelessness or just in things in general. They a lot of people are up there who never experience a lot of things that normal people like myself and even Jessica, because she's pretty normal, honestly. Um she's not like you know, I want to say Beyonce or somebody like Oprah who, you know, well, Oprah's different because she came from a kind of a struggle, you know. I think like Steve Harvey, I would say, because he came from homelessness into what he is now. Um, A lot of people like to be in positions and they're not actually understanding. They see the problem, but they never actually understand how it is to actually live through that problem. But yet they make laws and make different things to affect the people they're making the, who has the actual problem. So um, I'm actually pretty grateful for this group. Um. Everything might not happen the way we want to happen, but everything I feel like happens for a reason. So I'm happy that we came together and we did what we did um, for the time that we had it in, you know, because, yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> so out of all the accomplishments that you had um, in doing your job at City Hall, what is your biggest accomplishment that you have, accomplishment? You know, I think, frankly, the Impacted Advocates is pretty close to the top of that list. I think it's really important to hear from people who have experienced, um, you know, who have experienced it to help us figure out how to end homelessness once and for all. I think that's something that I got a tremendous amount of buy-in from the mayor to do. We also had uh, an amazing partnership from Deputy Mayor William Sysom and Gary Jenkins, who also had a history of homelessness and living in shelter himself as a child. So I think we had a lot of good supporters to make sure that all the city agencies, DHS and HPD included, were really listening to the impacted advocates. And I think despite the fact that I've moved on to a different role, I don't think that that has to change. I really think that your guys' voices are going to continue to be a really critical impact. I don't think you can go back. I don't think you can go back to the old way of not listening to people who have who have had that experience. So I'm really proud of that. I definitely agree. I feel like we all should, people who have experienced that particular problem or situation should always be the forefront. Um, I'm not saying everything they might agree with us about because you know it takes it's a give and take kind of situation, but they should definitely always have people at the table who experience those particular things. Um, yeah, and I think I want to go, the way that you framed it just now, the way that you said people who have experienced that situation, I think the important thing that you learn when you're working with impacted advocates that sometimes people don't know if they're just working in this industry or look at it kind of as a business um, is, is the way that you just phrase that. It's people who are experiencing a situation, right? It's not like, a flavor of person. It's not like a, t it's, it's not something that stays with you for your, your entire life. And it's not the only thing that you are, right? You're also a podcaster. You're also a mom. You have all these other elements to your life and your situation, your personality. And having experienced homelessness is one of the things that defines you in life. I bet it's a pretty big one, but it's also not the only one. And I think that that's something that working with impacted advocates, getting your voices out, I think can help people see that this isn't, um, like it's not a trick. 
it's it, we really do need your expertise to help figure out how to do this better because homelessness is a really tricky issue. It's a really complicated problem to solve, especially in a city as um, expensive as New York. So I think making sure that people see it as a person who has experienced the situation and not a homeless person, I think is something that's really important. I think that nuance, like it sounds like it's just a little twist of language, but I take it really seriously. And I think it's really important to remind people of. So if you had to say one thing you kind of, I would say left undone, um, out of like, she, as I said before, she's not working at City Hall at the moment right now. Can you think of one thing you kind of left that you wish you have done, but you didn't get to do? Oh, there's so many. Um, I have been working really hard on making sure that at HPD, the process of moving people into housing, getting a voucher is as smooth and as fast as possible. So that is something that's ongoing work. It's gonna take partnership from the state and especially the federal government. So I think I gave it a really good start. I launched the ship, but I think that we're still waiting to see some really strong results from that. Um, when I started at the beginning of last year, the vacancy rate in supportive housing was like 14%. Now that's a crazy number. The vacancy right. rate in New York City is like less than three, is like three or 4%. The vacancy rate for apartments that are less than $1,500 is less than 1%. Here we had a 14% vacancy rate in supportive housing and tens of thousands of people living in shelter who desperately needed it. So it wasn't, it wasn't that there wasn't a line out the door. It was that we created a process that was really, really difficult for agencies. It was difficult for shelters. It was difficult for government staff. And most importantly, it was difficult for the people experiencing homelessness to wind their way through the system. So in the first year and a half of taking this on, we reduced the vacancy rate in half. Now we're at like seven or eight percent. Um, and there's still work to be done on our homeless set-asides, on our lottery process. But I think we've made really significant strides in the first year, but there's a lot left undone that I hope that, you know, my successors take on the mantle and push it forward. The lottery needs a lot of help. <laughs> I think any lottery is just like you're there with the golden ticket and you just want to, it's, it's very hard. I'm in a lottery for Housing Connect, Daryl, for a couple of things. And I got approved for, not approved, the first step for a housing connect apartment. So hopefully this time I get it because it's not the first time it has happened to me. I don't want to get too excited because I get too excited and it doesn't happen. My heart will be broken. So I want to be able to, you know, leave it and come back, I guess, in the next six months because it takes a long time for the process, um, as you will know. And yeah, so hopefully all these systems kind of go faster. And I feel like there's a lot of things why it goes slow. People not getting honestly paid enough. We don't have enough staff to go for those positions. And I think people don't think about that. We just want things to go fast, fast, fast. But if a person is physically not there and we don't want computers to actually take over the world, people actually need to be in those seats to do those actual jobs. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard um, for, for people like me who are trying to apply for all these assistance and HRA or um, housing. And it's like, why is it taking forever? Why is it taking months to get these things through? But yet there is no actual workers to do it. And a lot of times, a lot of the, a lot of times vacancies, to be honest. Um, but honestly, before Corona, I feel like it was a problem. And now after Corona, it's even a bigger problem. So I don't know how we can help with that. Or maybe putting more money in nonprofits and also um, paying our way, people who work those kind of jobs more money, I think will be the thing. But where is the money coming from? Because we, I feel like we're always screaming money, 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 money. But where is it actually coming from? Where can we get it together to the people who actually need it? It's a whole pipeline of problems. It's like 
homelessness, workers. You just, you can't win. Like, there's no direction to really go in. I don't really know, to be honest. Well, so yeah, I was, for example, I was working on lottery, housing lottery issues at the nonprofit I worked at before I came back into city government. And I was really proud when the mayor said, okay, you you think you could do it better? Roll up your sleeves and come in and and work this out with us. So I do think there's also, it's a really, really difficult time to be in city government, but it's a really important time to be in city government. So I think that for everybody who has a bunch of ideas as to how to do it better, I think public service is a really valuable way to contribute. Um, and I, I, I really want to kind of lend my support and gratitude for everybody who's working in city government right now and everyone who's a frontline social worker right now who's doing these kind of jobs because they're really, really hard to do. And it's really, you know, things are going to fall through the cracks on any given day. So I, there's there's a million improvements that we can make and everyone just gets to wake up in the morning every single day and figure out how to make the world a little bit better in some of those really tricky systems. That's the problem, though. Um is because some of these jobs don't pay enough, I wouldn't have to person that's to work. That's crazy, you know? Especially living in New York, you need a job. You need about seven or eight jobs just to survive in New York City, which is kind of sad. Being a single mom myself and doing multiple jobs is like, it can be sometimes chaotic, trying to put meetings on here and meetings on there. But a lot of these jobs don't want to pay you. And they don't want to pay you how much you're worth. Because some of these jobs, they'll pay you, but they're not paying you how much you're actually worth with the knowledge that you come with, with all these things. And that's um a lot of, time the problem because that's a lot of people leave to go to different sectors they say I love my job but I need to also afford to live in New York I need to afford to give um, food to my kids I know example I don't well I don't know how much a podcast you have actually listened to this lady she was a caseworker in a shelter you would think in my mind if I see a caseworker in a shelter she has a nice apartment she's living this lavish lifestyle but no she was in the shelter herself she's a caseworker in the shelter and she's in the shelter herself that doesn't make sense to me. She needs help and she's helping. It's like, it takes a lot, a toll out of you, especially doing those kind of jobs. I feel like we hear everybody's story. And if you're a compassionate person, because not everybody who does this job is compassionate. So they're not going to feel the empathy for each person coming in the chair. But a person who's actually compassionate and understand where this person is coming from, they're going to take on the burden. And also they have to go home to their own burden. And it's like, they people should get paid what they're worth for the job that they're doing. A lot of times, certain jobs, they go to school for, they go... And it's like they have debt from that. And it's just, it's a whole cycle of just problems. Um, People didn't get paid. And can you imagine being in a shelter, working for the shelter and then going home and like, they gotta have a struggle meal for their kid just because they can afford to get a nicer meal for their child. And you also want your child to have a proper nutrition. It's a whole thing. It's just, it seems like we can't win. It's like, we, we, we change this, we change that. There's always something falling by the wayside. And that's the sad thing about it. Well, and again, all we can really do is kind of find find a way that you can make your mark to make things a little bit better than they were before. And you find a way to do that every day. That doesn't mean we're going to solve all the world's problems tomorrow. That's never going to be the case, or at least not. It's going to take us a minute. Uh, but I think I think we made I think we made a lot of progress. So I'm really I I want to I want to pause and be grateful and proud of that, even though there's so much work left to do. That's true. If there was no work to do, we don't have no jobs. So. Um, then I'll be hope, not homeless again, but you know, I'll probably go to another sector, but I honestly love doing my job. I like um, doing podcasts. I like to be an advocate. I love to get to travel and talk about homelessness and issues like that and talk about different 
sectors like food stamps and stuff like that in the different jobs that I do. And I said, I have a couple of jobs. So I get to work in different things where I help out people. I, lo I love helping people. I like to help people be better and see themselves being better. Because sometimes when you're at the lowest point, example, being homeless or just not having money, you think that you're going to be there forever. And honestly, it feels that way in the moment. But when you are out of it, you're like, wow, I made it this far. So um, I want to be able to encourage people to be better and know that it's going to be it's going to be sunshine on the, on the, on the, at the end of the tunnel. It's not always going to be in this dark, scary place, which it feels like at the moment. So I'm happy that I get to do the job that I do, to be honest. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't homeless. Like, I get upset about being homeless at the time, but I wouldn't have the jobs that I have if I wasn't homeless. Everything I feel like honestly happens for a reason. And I'm, it's so crazy to say, but I'm grateful that I was homeless because I wouldn't have had this job. Like, I wouldn't have this opportunity. I wouldn't be able to meet Jessica. I would have... I met so much people in the, the field that I work in who are wonderful, amazing people. And without me actually going through experience, I would have been a different path in life, you know, um, who knew where I would have actually been. So I'm actually grateful for everything that's happened so far. Definitely. Well, and I really want to thank you and all the impacted advocates because I, you know, I have my expertise, I have my degrees, I have all the reasons why I come to work every day and people listen to me, but I don't have, and, and I do the work that I do for my own reasons, but right. I don't have to come to work every day. And my job isn't necessarily to tell people the story of the worst day of my life and the worst day of my kid's life. You know what I mean? So I can't, it, it's, it, it, it impresses me and makes me grateful and makes me like sad and scared at times too for you guys where that is your job is to show up every single day and retell the story over and over again about the worst day of your life and how that process could have been made better for you and how we could have set up a government for you that, um, that made that horrible moment a little bit easier and a little bit more humane. And, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry and I'm grateful that that's asked of you. And I just really want to thank all the impacted advocates that I know that job is not easy. And that's the job that you've taken on for yourselves in order to make other people in that same situation's life a little bit easier. Thank you for having us. I have a question. If you had like a magic wand, right, to solve homelessness, I would just say New York. Probably your country is too big, you know, um, in New York City. What were things you put in place to kind of change all that for a lot of people? And Yes, I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to give you some answers, you know. I feel like, it, you know, you can do this. You have it. You have the ideas. Housing supply, housing supply, housing supply. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. that simple. Um, and where it becomes a little more complicated is we say housing is a human right a lot. Um, that's something that we talk about. But what would it mean for that to really be real and not just like a slogan on a T-shirt? You know what I mean? So... We say that housing supply is important. We say that housing is a human right, but that means you got to have housing in order to have housing be a human right. So now it gets tricky because what we also want is for individual neighborhoods to decide for themselves who's in charge of being the gatekeeper to say what people can come into this neighborhood and what people can live here. And we want to be able to have that community input. Well, I mean, but then that's not a human right anymore, right? Then it's, it's no longer a human right if you're saying it's a human right, but let's just ask these other people whether or not it's okay for Jessica or for Kadisha to move into this neighborhood to be able to have a roof over their head. So I right. think the democratic process meets housing as a human right um, is a really tricky public conversation that we're only really just now beginning to have. Um, I also think that if you 
talk about homelessness as being a housing problem and housing as being a human right, then now now you got to really face some structural issues about housing supply overall. Um, and even something like the, the, the Department of Homeless Services, right? So we're going to provide services to the homeless, which is a phrase that I don't um, that kind of suggests that if you're experiencing homelessness, that there's some, there's something that's, you know, there's something that got screwed up in your life or that you screwed up and that we need to provide you some services to help you to like rise to the occasion to not be homelessness and to not be homeless anymore. Right. Well, that's not really what it is. You just you can't nine times out of 10. It's just that you can't afford an apartment. And frankly, it's a miracle that so many people who are on the brink of homelessness don't become homeless themselves. Like we have record high homelessness numbers. Frankly, it's a miracle that it's not 10 times that. And that's just a testament to the kind of grit and, you know, ingenuity of tens of thousands of extremely low income people in New York that people are finding a way to make it work and not enter a homeless shelter. So that's a really like, that's a day by day struggle for a lot of people. Um, some of whom end up in shelter and many of whom, you know, find like get the luck uh, to not end up in shelter. So I think looking at it as a homelessness problem, you would no longer say like, oh, what service can I provide you? And it's like, no, you can provide services on your own. You can get your own services. If we put a roof over your head, we'll be able to help you solve your homeless problem and find you a home. And then the rest of it kind of becomes much easier. So it's it's a little hard to benefit. I think it's hard to benefit from services when you don't have a stable roof over your head. So I would argue, do the services once we found your roof over your head and then see what you need. So I have a question because um, as you, if anybody who's watching this, um, we have five boroughs. And if you're not from New York City, I say that because a lot of people who, some people who do watch this is not from New York or from New York City or even from this country. So we have five boroughs, um, which is Long Island. Oh my God, Staten Island, sorry. <laughs> we have Brooklyn, we have Bronx, we have Manhattan, we have Queens. And each borough has a different flavor of how honestly structured I feel like Queens have the most houses in my mind I could be totally wrong um Brooklyn Manhattan I feel like the Bronx has like most of the buildings and stuff like that um Queens is the biggest borough out of all of them um if we just say build more houses build more houses is that means we're gonna be taking I feel like we still have land left over no matter what um but what do we take be just building more buildings for us to be over more overpopulated or would we be putting it in a place like Queens where have less like buildings compared to houses, you know, like if they have more houses over there, there's more, I, in my mind, I say urban, I grew up in Queens, I grew up in a house. Um, and so what are we doing it like that? Like say some of these houses have to go and put buildings there or do we have enough space to put buildings where we have lots now to house people? And also with the, I'm thinking in my mind, the influx of people, the migrants who are coming in, do we have enough room for them to be here also? If we think about, I'm thinking about square footage in New York, because New York right now, without adding anybody else, we're very populated. Even with all the, the deaths in Corona, I couldn't even see the difference because we're so we're so populated. That's how bad it is. Like To say it like that, I really couldn't tell after then and now the difference of population because we have, we're just so packed into one small area. New York is not that big. It's big. New York, I should say New York City is not that big. There's different New York City than New York State, Um, if you don't know that, if you don't live here and know that information how would you think that would be resolved and should we honestly move people out of new york like i've been thinking my, my solution is like put them upstate, state build more like communities because there's a lot of land i used to live upstate new york 
there's a lot of land in those areas. So could we build communities so people can move up there or would that just be too much? And I'm also in my mind, I know this is a lot of questions. In my mind, a person like me would never want to leave New York City because it's too comfortable here. And I love the lifestyle of here and my eyes are horrible. So if it doesn't have a same feel and same bus route and same trains like New York, I can't get around because I can't drive. So that's my um thing. I know that's a lot to unload on you and to make you answer, but I think you got this. So, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, people, people love living here. This is a world-class city. So people are moving here regardless. Um, right. We ended up growing. People thought we were going to lose, lose population over the pandemic. We did end up actually growing. People continue to really want to live here. And as you said, really love the lifestyle, love being car-free. It's actually more environmentally sound to have people living densely in cities as opposed to kind of the urban sprawl and suburbs that we've been used to. So it's actually good for the environment to keep densely packed cities. That doesn't mean that building more housing is gonna look the same in every neighborhood. In some places it means turning your garage into a studio apartment. In some places it means like in Midtown Manhattan, there's a rule that says you could build a 40 story office tower but you can't build a 40-story apartment building. That's a rule that we made when our own state government that says that in Midtown Manhattan, you cannot build a 40-story building for this, for this purpose, but you can build a hotel, an office building, a school, anything else for that tall. So we're not even talking about building bigger buildings or more buildings in some cases, just right. about changing our rules so that more people can live here. Um, we also have rules about, we, you know, we basically outlawed SROs. For many years, the solution to homelessness um, in New York City 100 years ago was build these SROs and YMCAs and things I like that where people could come and have a room. And that's against the law now. So we got to get back to a place where we can build the kind of informal housing stock that would allow people to like keep a foothold in housing and not fall into homelessness. Got it. I think people might not be, for example, I might not know everywhere you're saying. People who are listening doesn't know everything you're saying, right? But can you break down what an SRO is so people can understand what you're saying? And, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, SRO stands for single room occupancy. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're called rooming houses or a horrible one is called a flop house. Or it's like a YMCA where you can rent a room with a shared bathroom and kitchen down the hall. It's like a dorm style living for people who aren't students. So if you're a freshman in college, you live in an SRO nine times out of 10, but we don't allow people who are past college. Like once you're not in school anymore, we suddenly have decided that that's an inferior form of housing and we make it against the law. So that's, that's a way that a lot of people came to New York and got their start before they could afford their own place. It's a way that people prevent themselves from falling into homelessness when they can't, can no longer afford a place. They can rent a room by the week or by the month. Um, and it was also a place where people found a lot of community. Now that's not, it's not a perfect housing model, but it stopped right. a lot of people from being homeless. And we basically created all these crazy rules that make it against the law now in New York City. And it was, and that's been a real blow to our ability to prevent homelessness in the first place. That's interesting. Um, it's so weird to me because right now becoming more technology-based, after Corona, we saw that we could actually work from home. People might, some people might not be as productive as others, but the point is that people, a lot of people can work from home. So in my mind, I would think we don't need as much office space. That's what I personally think. I think, um, I think employers, I'm not saying every single job, I'm not gonna say a doctor should be working from home. That's just ridiculous. But certain jobs who just are always in the office, they can take up less space, office space, and have people working from home more. So we can honestly do more housing. Like that's my per personal thing, especially in New York City, especially with the homeless population being um on the street and all these things. 
I'm not gonna say that's gonna save um solve every problem. I'm not gonna say every homeless person on the street right now wants to get an apartment because sometimes it's either mental um illness or they just some people are just so they've been on the street so long they kind of their mind is there, um and they can't they can't think of leaving and when even people, when people are I know um the homeless hero said it when he got in his, his apartment it's, it's a different feeling when you live on the street and it's just like your mind can't fathom um that you're even in an apartment right now so you end up they take a like long walks they end up staying outside more because they're just not used to a confine of a building so um i know it won't solve every problem but i feel like they should have people in offices take up less space people work from home honestly i probably probably be less stressful um, because sometimes working with people can be a lot. <laughs> have coworkers in your business all the time, and just you know, um, things like that, and make more buildings and make more houses and make things. Because an office is different than an apartment building. But if you people they have construction workers who could think about where can we put this stove line, where can we put these things in an apartment so a person can live there, um, so it could be more better for everybody. You know, if you people don't want to see the homeless people on the street, make a place where they can actually go. They're there because they don't have a place to go. So just if you make us solve a, you know, solve a problem, it could kind of help out. That's just my idea of things. And I understand my only problem with also having a person live in a garage kind of setting is I think of in the past couple of years, we had a lot of hurricanes and New York, I feel like in, in general has not been used to those kind of things. So I'm thinking of flooding, even basements. Um, even though I grew up in a, not grew up, but I stayed in the basement for a couple of years in my home. And I feel like, thank God that hasn't happened to me that we got flooded out. But I know somebody who had a basement and their basement was flooded out in one of the hurricanes. So I think about those kind of things of li people living in, I think it's called low level. I forgot what it's called exactly in housing, in a, in a house that they can get flooded easily and they can lose a life. And it has happened in the past couple of years. That's my only concern about those things. Yeah, so two things. I think office conversions to housing is a really important priority. We worked really hard in Albany last year to try to get the state government to pass a law to make it easier to convert office buildings to housing. Um, we weren't able to get it across the finish line, so we're going to all have to take another crack at that next year. But there's definitely a lot of underutilized office buildings where the owners worried because they're not able to rent it out anymore. And then New Yorkers should be worried because it's going to be bad for us in the long run to have an empty midtown. So I think converting those buildings to housing is going to be a huge win-win across the board. Um, on basements, we have been, you know, I've been advocating for years to find a way to make basements safe. And I think having them be illegal apartments doesn't, doesn't benefit anybody. So certainly if you're in a floodplain, we have to be really concerned about that and not build a basement apartment. But right now there's, there's a lot of basement apartments that could be safer. You could put in fire protection and flood protection, but you can't do that because the basement's illegal. So now the construction is going to be illegal too. So finding a way to make basements safer, giving those tenants the tenant protections they deserve. Cause if you're living in an illegal apartment, you have no rights against your landlord whatsoever. You have no right to stay there. You have no right to complain about your landlord because if the apartment doesn't exist, you have no legal rights there whatsoever. So there's a lot of ways, you know, it's not simple because you do have this question about where can a basement apartment be made safer. But I think we've 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 seen many, many basement apartments that could be safe if only we found a legal path for them because pretend, pretending like they don't exist is not going to work. And like you said about offices, pretending like the world of work and the world of office workers in Manhattan is going to be the same going forward as it was before the pandemic is just really foolish. So we got to figure out a new plan for some of those buildings and housing is a perfect opportunity. That's definitely true. 
I think all of those things when they put in place could definitely work for the people of New York City. And, and honestly, I feel like if we use it here, they might be able to lose using California and Chicago, places where it has very high homeless population. I'm just trying to leave out the other states or nothing, but we do have a problem in these bigger states and people tend to come here because um, we have more of an open door policy and things like that. So I feel like if we did those things, it could definitely cover a basis of people and be able to help out a lot of people and have help our families, help out. I'm not going to say only just families. No, a lot of people are out there homeless who are not in families. Um, and they deserve the help as anybody else who is in a family. Who, I don't, my, my, always, my head is like to divide things. So I always want, no matter who you are or where you're from or anything like that, to get the help that you need in a shelter. So, or shelter or on the street or things like that, overcrowding. So that's my whole gist of things. But, um, do you have any? Yeah, and I think that's another that's another language thing that I want to call out as well, where we talk about homeless singles versus homeless families. So I never really liked that distinction because just because you live by yourself doesn't mean you don't have a family or that you're not a family. In fact, sometimes you have kids and you can't live with them because you have no place to stay. So I think it's important to really look across someone's whole life um, and realize that, you know, just because you live by yourself, I, I've lived by myself for many, many years. And, and when that was the case, that didn't mean that I didn't have a family. It just meant that I was living by myself at that time. So, um, just trying to figure out what, what's going to be a solution for, for all different kinds of people and situations. If a person wanted to get involved in changing the narrative or just changing homelessness in New York city, what's the first area you think they should go into? to kind of help with that? Ooh, join a community board. Call up your borough president and apply to be on a community board. So community boards are these amazing organizations. There's like 50 something of them all across the city. And every time there's a new housing development that comes up or a new building that's being built, the community board votes on it. So at any given neighborhood, there was a community board of about 50 people and they decide. So my dream would be that it's not just, you know, kind of comfortable, stably housed people that sit on those community boards and make decisions about what happens to the future of their neighborhood from their perspective, which is typically going to be to keep things the same. I would love it if somebody who was like, well, wait a minute, what about the people who are going to live here in a couple of years or who are desperate to live in this neighborhood or who have no place to stay at all? How would our, how would our decision-making process be different if all of, you know, if, if community boards were represented by people who didn't have a place to stay right now and weren't coming to those meetings from a place of, you know, comfort. I really love a good community board meeting. I've spent many years of my career kind of duking it out and we see a lot of community boards who make projects stronger, but I do think that what we hear less often is the voice of people who are not stably housed or not housed at all in those discussions. I understand. But we have come to the end of the podcast. Um, thank you so much, Jessica, for what you do and how you help our, our community and think about is it still mine? I feel like should I say still mine if I'm not in it, but the people who I have left behind kind of in a way, I just either way it sounds bad to me. But um I'm happy that you're helping out the neighborhoods and the people and just making a difference. That's all that matters. If you're if you're here and you're not making a difference in life, it doesn't make sense. But if you're here making a difference and making a change for the better and not the worse, I thank you for the job that you're doing. And you did. And you Thank you. To do. Yes. Thank you so much, Kadisha. This is an amazing podcast. What a great space to raise up people's voices. And I'm really grateful to be a part of it. Thank you so much.
Um, guys, follow us on Hear Our Voices, all the platforms. We're going to be having a giveaway coming up. So if you want to stay tuned, I advertise it a lot, trust me. And also we have the Spanish Spanish podcast that comes out every fourth um, Wednesday of the month. So check that out. Well, Lord, and you see her on here before. We have talked about the Spanish podcast. If you're a person who wants to be a guest, I forgot about that. If you want to be a guest or you have resources that you would like to give us, we would love to have them, guys. See you guys next time. Bye.